Oh, you were into it. I was like, oh, <laughs> hi. <laughs> Julia. Yeah. I can't believe you said that. I am so offended because I definitely did not sit there and also think the exact same thing. I'm like, I know this is he's a child killer, but man, did they have to put him with no shirt on? Come on. Yeah, I think yeah. this is a collective problem. It sounds like we all have. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the final girl. Welcome to Horror Movies Five God Disco Citizens. I am your host, Julia. And I'm Terry. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited, Julia. Uh, I love treats. I love interviews. We have such a fun one today. I'm so pumped. We always interview the best people. That's what I like about it. And this week we're talking to uh, not only a superstar, but also a friend. So I'm so excited to hear about his origin stories and, and amazing things. So let's talk about uh, David M. Boer, who grew up in a small Ohio town reading Stephen King. What, what? Watching yes. the Goonies, eating Lucky little, Charms. A little and, author, little author. A little author. We might be talking about him today. A little. Okay. Uh, <laughs> watching the Goonies, eating Lucky Charms in front of He-Man, playing trading Garbage Pail Kids, playing Nintendo, and going outside. These are all things I love. Channeling his love for all the best 1980s sci-fi and fantasy, he has co-created and written comic series Canto, Powerless, and the LGBTQ-led Killer Queens, Alien yes. Bounty Hunter, and the middle grade series Tales of Lake Erie, not to mention a little something uh, with Joe Hill also that we'll be talking about later today as well. He has also written several features. He is a lawyer by training, lives in Los Angeles with husbands, and the true masterminds behind their operation their adopted greyhounds david hello Welcome. well hello greyhounds. So... <laughs> greyhounds i have two greyhounds and uh, you know if you want to peek behind the curtain they just like galloped through the house and we're like okay well we guess we got to start over again so that was that, that was fun the hellhounds are have already appeared in the podcast Yay. Um, what are the what are their names uh smoke and mm -hmm. doug Dog. I have a huge 85 pound greyhound named Doug Dog. So that's where we are here Doug on Dog. my world. I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. Welcome. Hello. Uh, yes. We So we met um, at our mutual friend Becky Dana's hello birthday party, where oh, she basically uh, shoved me in front of David. They're like, she's like, he likes Stephen King too. And I was like, hello. <laughs> so <laughs> now go. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so so yeah, that's that's sort of our origin story together. And I, Julia, you are such a constant reader. It always impresses me so much, and it's sort of like my it's sort of my goal to be at that level of. It's, it's so impressive to me that you are reading the whole Dark Tower, yeah. all the tie-in books, and you're mm -hmm. experiencing them all for the first time, which I yeah. think is absolutely wonderful. And I and you know I, I've read those and I don't get the opportunity to experience them again for the first time. So I'm always jealous whenever you uh, you you post about finishing one of those wonderful books. Well, thank you. I just I have about a hundred pages left of the Dark Tower itself, and then I'm done, like with everything done. Um, so I am what? putting. I'm. I've been putting it off for a hundred page countdown. Like like I could on? I could have been done weeks ago, and I was like I can't be done. Yet. String yeah. it out. I have String to, it out. Yeah, yep. just savor it page by page. But yep. we're not here to talk about me and my Stephen King stuff. We're here to talk about you and all of your things. So you write in, uh, we have in your bio that you grew up reading Stephen King. Um, is that the first kind of horror film? Was it related to him that you can remember? Or what was, how did you get into horror film? Um, I cannot, for the life of me, remember the very first horror film I, I watched. But I can tell you that I would go to my, when, when I was, a teenager before I could probably even rent movies myself, I would go down the aisle at the video store and I would just figure out which horror movie I had not seen yet. 
and I would just grab it and I watched oh, so many of these 80 horror, 80s horror movies. That's why I love the, your podcast so, so much because you cover so many movies that I pro- I haven't seen you know recently, but I saw when I was growing up. Um, I can distinctly remember this is this is my horror movie memory, and I have a horror movie or a horror novel um, memory that I would love to share with you. But my horror movie memory is renting uh, Evil Dead Two, I believe, and I was probably thirteen or fourteen years old, and I had no idea what this movie was. I just thought it looked cool. Yeah, and I went home and I watched this movie. And the moment came when I think this was Evil Dead 2. I haven't seen it recently, but when, um, uh, gosh, of course I'm on a podcast about horror movies and I, Ash, and I and I blank on, on Bruce Campbell's name <laughs> in the movie. Um, <clears throat> so Ash stomps down on that trap door uh-huh. with the the undead woman in the basement, and he smashes her head. And the eyeball goes flying across the room uh-huh. and uh-huh. it flies Beautiful. into the screaming girl's mouth. Yes. But what I just fell out of my chair laughing because it looked <laughs> like they had just, she spit it out in, in real time. She spit it out and they recorded it. And it was clear that they just ran the footage backwards uh-huh. when it went. So it would go into her mouth. And I was I was a teenager and I thought that was the funniest thing. I rewound and played that scene like five times in the middle of watching the movie. <laughs> I was so tickled by this. And so I, I feel like that's my that was my big core memory about horror movies when I was young. And, and that's a I've good one to them. kind of get you into it because it's comedy horror, right? So you it's not I mean, there are, you know, obviously Sam Raimi loves his gore, but there's also silly things in it. So it's not just like you're starting with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where there's no humor at all. Right. It's like Friday the thirteenth. You watch it and everybody gets, you know, hacked up and then, you know, we wrap up. It's it it was the opportunity, I think, for me as a young as a young movie watcher and horror lover to see that there is opportunity there there is an opportunity to tell a different kind of horror story in movies mm-hmm. a funny one and i just I, i'll always have that wonderful memory of just watching that scene over and over again because i just <laughs> thought it was so funny and fun and just like hey. enjoying the practical effects of it all right so uh gorgeous yeah just yeah. running the footage backwards it's it's brilliant and it doesn't quite you can kind of tell that it's backwards. And I think that's what really just lands the whole bit for me. But I mean, Sam Raimi and his camera work is legendary, right? And that's part of what makes those movies so unique. So you have one that you remember that you delighted you. Can you remember one that scared you? Uh, a horror movie that scared me. I mean, most of them did scare me. The, I mean, Friday the third, you know what? I, I'll, I'll say Nightmare on Elm Street. Because mm-hmm. it was the Friday the Thirteenth was uh, you know Jason is a physical person so yeah you could kick butt but Friday the Third or Nightmare on Elm Street um, it scared me because you couldn't really there there was nothing you could do you had to sleep at some point yeah um, but then when I watched Dream Warriors Nightmare on Elm Street three I just thought well you know what I'm going to turn myself into a wizard yeah and I'm going to fry <laughs> his butt. and so then um tell us about how you got into mr king uh i started reading him way younger than i should have and i feel like that's a story for so many of us yeah yeah uh i was 11 11 or 12 i think that's right around when i when i started Uh, and again i can't remember the the first uh book or or story that I read of his but I remember one that I will never ever ever forget and that was it was the scariest moment it was the scariest um moment based on any story book movie anything that I've ever had Ooh. but I will go back I have um uh my uncle Brian is a uh, huge huge hey Brian is a huge <laughs> huge Stephen King fan and he's been uh, a Stephen King fan for all of his life and that was my introduction was seeing his huge um, bookcase full of Stephen King books. And, mm. you know, as soon as I got into it, he would every year 
you know, Christmas, he would get me a, a book or a book on tape or something like that. That's Stephen King. So I kind of got folded into that young. And I, this story, I, I've told the story a few times um, to, to friends and things, and it still terrifies me to my core. It, it was still. so shaky. It shook me so much that at 30 years later, I am shaken to the core by this. And this is, Julie, you're going to love it. Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> I'm waiting with bated breath. <laughs> yes. So the story that emotionally just crippled me with fear was um, The Boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Now, Julie, I know you know that story, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a short story about this man who has been plagued, who has been haunted by a boogeyman all of his life. And it, re- it gets really brutal. I hope we can just sort of, we can talk really horrible details, right? Oh, yeah. yeah tell whatever you want to tell. This is a horror podcast. So if we have the screamers <laughs> listening, then what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> just just skip ahead a few seconds. Um, no, this guy is, is plagued by this boogeyman ever since he was young. And um, the story, he grows, he grows up and he gets married and they try to have kids. And every time they have a baby, and it's happened a few times, um, the boogeyman would come into his house and bas- basically shake the baby and oh. it would die. Like, oh, awful. And, and horrible, right? And mm-hmm. in the story, it would describe how the boogeyman would, would like stalk him. He would go, he would move through the sewers and he would just, and you can picture this at night in a suburban street that's kind of, you know, rain slicked and you see the, the, and you can feel the boogeyman sort of coming through you know, in the shadows coming toward mm-hmm. this man. Um, and it was a really sad story, but what shook me to the core was I, uh, my uncle Brian got me the book on tape, oh. the, the the book of short stories on tape. And I listened to the boogeyman on tape and they told the story and then they had a voice for the boogeyman. Oh, that oh. was like this slurpy oh. gravelly, just, just I, 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 you can't see this, but I am literally covered in goosebumps right now as I tell the story. Wow! It, it was this voice that just drilled into your head and scared that it it just stuck with you. And it, the only thing that the the boogeyman said was the words "so nice." So it was mm. like "so nice," and just mm. as as it's like approaching this guy with this voice, and I was like. 13 years old I I got so scared by the story that I could not um I like laid awake at night listening to the pipes settle in my house and I'm like oh my god the boogeyman is coming he's here I remember being in the shower and I did not want to wash my hair because it meant I had to close my eyes and I knew for a fact, if I closed my eyes for even an instant and opened them again, the boogeyman would be standing right in front of me in the shower. That's how scared I was about this story. Wow. So, and yet I still am a huge Stephen King fan. I've read all of his books and I have a huge collection of them. So um, thank you, Mr. King, for uh, uh, scaring me into loving everything that you will ever do and have ever done. And that's amazing because it's, there's, you know, there's some people who would read that story or hear that story, hear, have that reaction and be like, fuck it. Never yep, listen never to that again. guy again, yep. <laughs> you know, but there's, it's great that you were that terrified. You're like, no, I want more. It's, I, I just, I'm such a huge horror fan. And I think that, that it's kind of part of it. It's, it makes you like, it makes you feel something, even if it's just abject terror. I just mm-hmm. thought, holy smokes, if, if somebody can do this. You know, if somebody can write a story like that, that just sticks with me for 30 years, gives me goosebumps three decades later, when I think mm-hmm. about that moment, I just, it's kind of magic, right? Yes, it is. That's, yeah. I mean, I, he's, he's, a, he all hail the king. That's what I say. Do you, do you have, a, do, you have a, <laughs> do you have a favorite book of his? What is your favorite book? Um, there is uh, a, it, it kind of gets underrated a little bit, I feel like, but I think his golden age, I've read, you know, I've read everything that he's done way back from the 70s. And his 80s books are great. And I really loved it. And, um, you know, Salem's Lot, Cujo, uh, and, and some of the stuff he did in the 80s. 
But my my golden age for Stephen King is the aughts. It's the 2000s. Really? So there was a Rare. there was a whole chunk of books that he wrote in the 2000s with um, Black House from a Bu- Buick yeah. Eight, Cell, Duma Key. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Under the Dome might have snuck in there at that decade. Mm-hmm. Yep. But for me, the the from the Buick Eight, Cell, Duma Key, those I, I think are probably my favorites because they just you know you had the you had the the creatures and you had the the boogeyman and you had the ghosts and everything and during that time it felt like he was experimenting with with other um weirder things like mm-hmm. from a buick 8 was about a um buick that basically was from another dimension and it ate things in its trunk including people um okay. Duma Duma Key was about a, a construction manager who lost his arm and ended up being able to ghost paint with the arm that he lost. And it the paintings he painted told a story about some sort of um demon entity that was uh living in a house like down the street from him when he moved to Florida. Uh and it's just that weird stuff that I just it felt like he was pushing the boundaries of of what a horror story is and how you in in what could be the premise for something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's so that's my golden age for uh, Stephen King. And what about film? Oh gosh, um, I'm going to ask the, the hard questions today. Yeah. You know, this is this. I know it's a, those are great. Those are super creative choices, though, of of him like taking that giant swing. I love that. It's like if you've I, been as prolific as him, like you've got to keep pushing yourself. And I love that he continues to want to grow and change and and try new things. Yeah, and I think you're seeing it again right now um, mm-hmm. with all of his sort of hard boiled. Um, murder, almost true crime-esque murder um, books mm-hmm. that he's doing, like the Mr. Mercedes trilogy. and Because um, the new I'm, ones with Holly Gibney too, right? Yeah, all of those things. There's a supernatural element to it, but I was I was reading an article or chatting with somebody and um, that, that it was the idea that he's kind of facing potentially his own mortality as he gets older. Yeah, sure. And the monsters that scare him aren't supernatural it's no, it's real it's life kind of, it's people <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah, so. people are real so that's the that's the thing i i will answer the favorite stephen king movie question but i just want to go back to the books really quick and i will yes. tell you that the the fa- my favorite book i remembered it now my favorite book he's ever written is a tiny little book called elevation really Have you read that it? one's your very favorite what do you like about that one uh, it was so it's so, it's going to sound like I, I'm using the tagline for the book, but it was so uplifting. <laughs> it was so. It's, it, it, uh, it's ter- Terry, just, it's a, it's a book about a guy who's, who just, uh, he's not physically losing weight, but he's losing, like he is losing weight, but he looks the same, but he's basically just kind of withering away weight wise. Uh-huh. So, so it's like thinner, it's like thinner, except he's, he's, he's losing, he like, he's becoming lighter to the point where it's like, he's going to come off the earth the oh, yeah nice. the way the the way no more gravity I, for him okay exactly that's mm-hmm. what he's not losing weight but he's losing gravity mm-hmm. so eventually and and it progresses so eventually he's just going to like the earth is just going to let him go and he's just going to you know float up and just be gone and it's an older man and he kind of it's about facing your own mortality and you know how how you use the time that you have left and oh, i love that it, it was just a 150 page book or something and it was just so so beautiful mm. um it's the one that i want to uh have the i, I should want to adapt to the yeah oh, i no. want to adapt it yeah <laughs> um, definitely i think that's within your you have uh you got connections if i should say that might be able to make that happen but my favorite stephen king movie is it uh chapter one from 2017 yes yeah support uh how do you feel about chapter two um i i really enjoyed the first chapter yes okay all right all right that's a good answer (laughs) he also also very enjoyed really very enjoyed the first chapter as well so we understand but um i don't i don't hate the second chapter but it's different yeah it is hard the energy of those kids and that that it was just a tour de force um, on all fronts with all the actors, I think too, and just right. the realization of the story is really, really well done. Um, so can we move on to your work, sir? Yes. I want to know 
when did you start writing or when did you put together that like you're going to be you know want to be like Stephen King and write (laughs) so sure I I started writing when I was um for a long time probably well probably in college just sort of for fun and then as life uh happens I ended up becoming an attorney for 18 years (laughs) so I practiced law for 18 years before last September when I went to write full-time I transitioned to full-time yes writing. living living the Yay. dream you did it That's so amazing. I there was there was you know a, a solid decade before that where I was kind of doing two drop jobs practicing law and then on at nights and on the weekends uh writing and reading and and just consuming and and sort of producing content as much as I could and it took a good decade of writing and networking to really get to the point where I could even consider doing it as a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I started out writing novels, believe it or not, oh. way back in the day. And I wrote three novels and all of which, oh, there was a, a one was a horror novel. One was a lawyer slash detective novel. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. As you do. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. You write what you know. And I realized, uh-huh. you know, I, I Wait, kind what of was the third one. You said there was three. I'm trying to think. Oh, it's a big, a big um, kind of sci-fi uh, okay. twist on on superheroes. Uh, they were all terrible, just god awful. But you know what? You got to get the god awful stuff out of the way. <laughs> and did you because... get those published? No, no, no. These were all um, just I, I, you know, I, I put them out there a little bit and tried to get them, and then you get feedback and you and you kind of look back at your work and you think, okay. I think this needs more attention. I need to, you know, do more rewrites on this, that sort of thing. And then, uh, so they never got published, but it got, you know, everyone got, was a little bit better, better than the last one. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I'm sure if you went back and you read the feedback that you got from those, it would, ne- none of them would say it's gone awful. I'm sure they might be some like criticism, but I would say most of the people would probably say it's much better than you think it is. I think you're you're right. I think I'm probably harder on myself. And yeah. aren't we I all? That, yeah. And there were there, you know, there were a couple of uh, you know, I got close to um publishing, getting representation, that sort of thing, but it never quite happened. Which looking back is fine because that's the road we all take unless you're an overnight superstar, you know. So I I I had that experience and then I took a class at UCLA or a course at UCLA about um, screenwriting so it was feature writing mm-hmm. and I started working on features and of course all the things that I wanted to write were all the things I loved I didn't really dive um, too much into like the contained horror I was I was doing like huge hundred million dollar sci-fi scripts Whoa. like let me just do this and of course, I was I was naive to think that writing or writing a hundred million dollar sci-fi script was the way to get right. movies made. <laughs> right, got to start low, work your way up. This is this yep. is what we learned. The budgets, the budgets. <laughs> I know, and I was like, a budget? What is? Can somebody? Okay, Wikipedia. What's a budget? Um, <laughs> and but I just loved uh, stories. I loved, so that's what I did. And, you know, it still turns out to be good uh, writing samples. Mm-hmm. So I did that and I realized there was one in particular, one story in particular that was never going to get made as a movie unless somebody wrote me a hundred million dollar check. So I decided to delve into comics. So I had been going to San Diego Comic-Con this past, uh, just a, just this past uh, Comic-Con this year in 2022 was my 16th comic-con wow wow so i was going back in the days when it was uh you know the tiny little show where you could just book your hotel for 70 dollars a night and you know yeah you didn't have the machine that it is now yeah you didn't have to hunger game a a bunch of people in order to get your badge (laughs) (laughs) may the odds be ever in your favor (laughs) they have been so far but you never know there's always a sequel right Um, oh yeah uh, so I started going to San Diego Comic Con, but now yeah. you're there. Now you're there as a as a panelist, yeah, and as a someone who's selling their own work, right? Presenting, right? That yes, and that evolution has been so wild to to 
sort of experience, you know, step back, you, I step back a little bit and I sort of look at, you know, what, what I've done and, and what's going on now. Cause I never want to lose perspective of yeah. anything whenever, whenever anything exciting happens, I just want to make sure that I'm still, uh, you know, I stay, I, I, I remember, I remember where mm-hmm. things were and where things are now. And to go from the fanboy for years going to San Diego Comic-Con and just being a consumer of things that I loved to going this past Comic-Con where I didn't have a lot of opportunity to walk around the floor and be the consumer because I was, you know, doing signings and, and panels and different types of things. And my schedule, you know, was much more packed. It's just fun to see that evolution of my experience. Yeah, think about if you could go back to the David at the first Comic-Con you ever went to and be like, Psst, by the way, in 15 years, you'll be here selling selling your amazing comics. So was 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 Alien Bounty Hunter your first comic? It was uh, Powerless, believe it or not. And that oh, was the okay, one. Powerless. <clears throat> and that was the that was published in 2017. And that was the one that started out as a book as a novel. And then I, I, I sort of converted it into a giant sci-fi script and then sort of reevaluated it and made it into a comic book the premise is basically if you think of the x-men but in reverse so everybody lives in a world where through genetics you at puberty you develop some sort of superhuman ability but then a virus pops up that if you get infected you lose your power and so the outcasts in the society instead of being the ones who can walk through walls and start fires and all kinds of cool stuff the outcasts in the society are the ones who can't do any of that. So oh, wow. it's kind of like, where do you find power in a world where everybody seems more powerful than you are? Yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome. So, so what was, I, oh. sorry, go ahead, Terry. Yeah. I was just thinking, what was the impetus between going between all these different versions? Cause you said comics was a novel, it was a different thing. How do you, I don't know, transition between those or, or what's your kind of your process for evaluating that? So it was a lot about breaking story. I was I, I wrote the novel and um, I, I was, you know, I was reasonably happy with it, but I knew that, you know, I could do better with it. Mm-hmm. And then I got into the um, screenwriting program at UCLA and I looked at it and I thought, well, this is still a really cool idea. I wonder if I could adapt it into into a screenplay. And I did it and I sort of rebroke the story. And it seemed a little different and it, it turned out a little different. And then for practical reasons, like we talked about budget and things, I just thought if I want this to be out in the world, um, the best opportunity for it is to, to adapt it into a comic. And, you know, the idea itself lends it, lends itself so much to, to being, being a comic. Mm-hmm. So I, my philosophy is when you're adapting things from one, one um, medium to another is that you really it's not like comics are a storyboard for um, for a movie or a TV mm-hmm. show. It's not like each issue is an episode of a TV show. You really have to step back and you have to figure out the best version of that story in the in that particular medium you're working in. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm adapting one of my own books to um, uh, television and it's really required me to step back and look at the comic that I made and think, okay, well, this is the good, this is the comic version of the story that everybody really likes. What is the TV version of the same story with these same characters, but the best version of that for the TV medium? And I can tell you, it's yeah. very, they're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of my philosophy is you got to sort of holistically reevaluate the story mm-hmm. based on how you're telling it. That's so cool. You've got to work in so many mediums that like you've really gone across the board and done everything you can, which I think is great. So how did you find the, how do you, when you have a story that you've written for a comic, how do you, do you find the, the artists that you want to work with? Yeah. So uh, social media is such a, uh, such a curse and a blessing as we all know. Uh, the blessing part of it is that I have such a huge network of artists that I, I follow and I just enjoy their work. So once I come up with a story, I will reach out to artists that I'm connected with on social media and see if they're available and see if they're interested in the, the, in the uh, premise and the story that I, I want to tell. 
And that's my advice for anybody who's starting out in comics is get out there, be, be a known person on social media. Mm-hmm. And I think this applies to any, any industry, whether it's movies or TV or comics or, you know, podcasting, entertainment, anything like that. Just be uh, a known person out there. So when the opportunity does come up to reach out to somebody to collaborate, you're not just, it's not just an email or a DM out of the blue, you know, mm, right. it's, they know who you are. So I've liked and I've interacted with so many artists that now when I can, when I have a project and I want to reach out to a particular artist, most of the time they know, they know me because I'm a fan of their stuff. Yeah. And that, yep. that We've really, yeah. And it really just makes the, uh, just, just really greases the wheels for, for the project. If you're already sort of interacting as a fan with somebody you want to work with. Yeah. See, this is this is practical advice, kids. There you go. This is how you it's do it. And true. this is, but it's true. And the great thing about it is anybody can do that, right? That's not something that you, you can you can bolster your own social media to work in your favor if that's if that is your want. And we have so you have so many comics that I wish we had time to talk about all of them in detail. Um, but you know, we have Canto, uh, which has gone gangbusters, right? That's all over the place. Um, and I know that that's one of the comics that you're you're most proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the one that kind of I I love the story because it, in addition to being a huge horror fan, I'm a huge '80s um, fantasy sci-fi fan, mm-hmm. and so the inspirations for Kanto were Neverending Story, Dark Crystal, Secret of Nim, Return uh, to Oz. Speaking just, my all language. of our favorite, yes, I was like <laughs> all of our favorite things. <laughs> I know. I just love geeking out about those. I was at San Diego Comic Con and the. I splurged a tiny bit and I bought wax pack trading cards of the four different um, like art on the cover of the, the packages for Return to Oz. Oh, so it's nice. TikTok, Scored, Scarecrow, uh, Dorothy, and Jack Pumpkinhead. Um, and I, I think his name is Jack Pumpkinhead, right? Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm looking right at his face right now. They're, they're staring at me. Um, <laughs> the... The, that was my inspiration for Kanto. So it's kind of a darkish fairy tale. And I can give you the super, the 22nd elevator pitch if you like it. Yes. Please. Okay. Well, Kanto is about a three foot tall little clockwork knight in search of a heart. His people have been enslaved. They're not allowed to have names. They're not allowed to love one another. When they were taken, their hearts were removed and replaced, replaced with clocks. But Kanto, he defies all of those rules because he's in love with the little clockwork girl. But when her clock gets damaged, he has to go out in this great big fantastical world to find where they take their hearts to bring hers back to save her. So I like Aww. to say it's part fantasy, part adventure, and all heart. Dun, dun, dun. Aww. <laughs> Aww, heart. I, I Marty like crying thinking about it. That's so sweet. I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah, that was the then that was the comic that really kind of uh, opened some doors for me because people really uh, ended up connecting with that story. Um, in 2019, it turns out the way things have unfolded in 20 and 2021 and a story about hope and courage and standing up, you know, facing tall odds and still finding a way through it's it seems to continue to resonate with folks. Yeah, so I'm. Awesome. We all we all want a little hope in these dire times, do we not? <laughs> oh God, we do. Yes. Um. So, uh, you know that we love to talk about taglines here on Horror Movie Survival Guide, and I will say that your comic Killer Queens has one of the best taglines I've ever heard. Uh, they put the sass in assassin. Genius, um, brilliant. Chef's kiss. Absolutely <laughs> freaking brilliant, and such cool fun artwork on that too. Oh my God. <laughs> we yeah we did we went through. I just thought it, we just talked about many taglines. And as soon as somebody said putting the sass in assassin, we we're like, okay, I guess we're going home. Yep. Done here. It is. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Done for the I day. Descri- I describe it when I'm pitching it to everybody. I describe it, I describe it as guardians of the galaxy. <gasps> nice. So that kind of sums up everything that that, that comic is. We, the, ga- we, the gasp from Terry when you said that is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know I love gay, gay, gay things, and that just made my day. <laughs> Guardians of the Gay Galaxy people, 
uh, it's we brought together an all LGBTQ plus uh, creative team to make nice what we describe as Guardians of the Galaxy. So big queer fun sci fi romp, um, and that is going to that was a four issue series from Dark Horse, and it's going to um, continue next nice. year. And there's some other um, fun information that will be coming down the pike related to that and if you can see i'm being very deliberate about my word uh -huh. choices right now <laughs> very nice very nice yes no i mean this is the thing is like you know we're talking about the comics but i think a lot of these are spinning off into different things which is so good i mean this is me being happy for my friend right like i, I, I want to see you succeed at all times so um you also worked on the all new firefly and also uh on joe hill's new series rain rain so, which looks so cool how did uh, that happen I was oh my god that one that's what i'm anyway i'm excited about that tell me tell me so tell me the tales, i'll just tell. i'll I'll just start out by saying that you, as as creatives, we all have kind of this list of things that we would that are kind of goals that holy are grails, pie in the sky. yes, yes, pie, holy grails, pie in the sky, yeah. And the, I never read comics as a kid except for like Mad Magazine and um, like comic books. Uh, mm. I would read Mad Magazine. I would read the Sunday Funnies. I came to comic books as they sort of exist now. Uh, when I started going to San Diego Comic-Con and the comic book that I read that made me um, that really opened my mind as to what comics can do and what stories they can tell was Lock and Key by Joe uh -huh. Hill. Uh -huh. And I had been reading Joe Hill. Um, I read 20th Century Ghosts, which is um, which contains the black phone. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, I That was the first book I read of his and I, got it from the LA times festival of books way back in 2007 before he had uh. done really a lot of anything else and lock and key opened my mind. So it continues to be my favorite comic book of all time. And so this was like 2009, 2010. So imagine my surprise when I read strange weather, which is the book that contains the novella rain mm -hmm. loved that story. Just, it was last two years ago maybe 2020, reached out to some folks I knew who might maybe potentially kind of might have an outside maybe opportunity or connection to seeing if this could be a comic book. Okay. And um, it, it, it ended up happening. It, it's, I, I reached out to an editor I knew who I knew uh, it was friends with Joe. And I said, oh, I think this story rain i absolutely adore it and i think it will make a fantastic comic book is there an opportunity here and he said okay uh let me let me see what i can do and he reached out to joe my understanding is that joe read one of my other books he's like yeah let's give it a shot i did an outline for how i wanted to adapt the the, the story to a comic because there were some changes based on based on the medium Right. Sure. And I he sent the outline over and Joe said, this is great. Let's do it. We got the artist involved. Zoe Thurgood, uh, he really loved her. Mm -hmm. uh, I wrote that the first script for the first issue. Again, I'm getting goosebumps because this is like <laughs> surreal to even be talking about this. I'm true. Yes. <laughs> I wrote the first script and he, Joe really responded the first script i think he was very happy with with where we were going with it and what was what was happening and then it, it got out there and we got published and people seemed to enjoy it so i think yeah it was like all of these little pieces coming into place to make a comic that i am really proud of and i think most importantly i think joe is really proud of it too so um it was just a wonderful experience from start to finish oh. I'm so happy for you. You get to say like, I have a book that says written by David M. Boer and Joe Hill. And you're like, that's yeah. me. You did that. And again, like, you know, this is the kind of thing, if you could go back to the little kid reading Stevie King at 11, 12, and tell him what happens with your life, I think that, that they would be so Pleasantly proud. surprised and so happy. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so surreal to think that somebody who I had been such a fan of, I'm now, you know, working together as, you know, I, I mean, I hesitate to say colleague because, of course, Joe is just 
incredible in sort of a, a, a league of his own. But the idea being that we would work, we would actually work together on something is really the 12 year old me would just like be sitting up at night, not because he's terrified of the boogeyman, but because he's like <laughs> dreaming of what's coming. Oh, and this is just the tip of the iceberg, man. You know, you're on the upward swing for who you're on the way. Even more delights await you, I am sure. And we are so happy that you picked as your connection to Joe Hill, uh, the black phone to watch as our movie to talk about yes. this week. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I. You go first. You geek no, out please, first, please. Julie. No, 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 no. Please, oh, what, you go ahead. Why'd you pick guess, this, guess pick this film? Yeah, tell us, tell us what what brought you to bring this film to us today. Yeah, uh, well, I picked up Twentieth Century Ghosts in um, 2007, I think, and I read it, and just the Black Phone as a story just completely leapt out at me. And I think I recall—I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but so it's big breaking news. I, I think <laughs> it was like t- 2010 or 2011. I went to a panel and at San Diego Comic Con where Joe Hill was on it, and he was talking about his work. And I think afterward, I had he was outside in the hall and I had said hello to him and he was sort of walking. He's like, Oh, walk with me. And so I walked with him and I just told him, um, I just thought black phone was absolutely brilliant. Uh, in 20th century ghosts. And he's like, Oh, thanks man. I really appreciate it. He was so kind. Uh, so I have been geeking out about this story for, it's probably a decade. And so to see it adapted into film going from, you know, the 10 page short story to a full feature length horror movie is just it's again 12 year old me just sitting in the dark just loving life (laughs) so uh what did you think of the film i enjoyed it i thought it was so fun i it was fascinating to watch to see how they took 10 or 12 pages in the seed of a story and uh expanded into an hour and a half Mm -hmm. i thought ethan hawk was absolutely unsettling as the villain didn't did what did you all think definitely you know you know i've been an ethan hawk fan since i was a kid right my my, yeah yeah, so both you know and our our complaint terry and i always with him is that he never gets the recognition he deserves because he's consistently amazing and he's never been bad in a movie that he's been no ever no, never. Right. And so this is the thing where he, you know, he, he never gets uh, nominated for anything. And you're like, what is happening? What? The, so and this is fun because you don't get to see him be scary very often. And, you know, and he has so many restrictions in this movie because he's he is no face. Right. It's just voice and body is all he has. And I think, you know, a lot of actors struggle with working with a mask. Um, and this mask is amazing. And, um, you know, shout out to Tom Savini for like killing Gorgeous. it with a mask uh but they uh you know in, in in the story there is no mask right so this is something that they just added for cinematic value and i think it's great and it works but you know to just watch him be terrifying um with 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 no face um i will say and this is this is slightly embarrassing but i'm gonna say it anyway so the world can hear me uh there were those shots of him sitting in that chair shirtless with the belt and i know in the context of the story that is not a sexy image but oh you were into it i was like oh (laughs) hi (laughs) julia yeah i can't believe you said that i am so offended because i definitely did not sit there and also think the exact same thing i'm like i know this is he's a child killer but man did they have to put him with no shirt on come on i think this is a collective problem it sounds like we all have um, okay it's not just me <laughs> it's like it's like julia this is why we do this show right like you know mm-hmm. in, the, in our intro we talk about some of the things we are attracted to that are not necessarily mainstream and that might be <laughs> yeah because the person i went with uh i mentioned that after the screening and she looked at me real funny <laughs> I <was> like, oh, <laughs> she stepped away she like scooted just, backwards yeah, a little bit like, oh oh dear but you know i can lean into this with you and terry and this is why i love you both because you're like yeah same. Yeah, um, totally. The, weird, the the changes that were baffling to me, and this is very minor, is that they changed the name of the characters. And I was like, why? Why did you do that? So in the story, he's John Finney, and in the movie, he's Finney Shaw. So like Finney's his first name. I'm like, they call him Finney anyway. And then his sister's name is Susanna in the story, but then it's Gwen in the movie. These are nitpicky things. I'm like, I don't. Why? Why? Okay, it doesn't matter. Scott, Scott Derrickson's a fantastic director. I think that's something that we can all agree on. Yes. 
for sure. I thought, I thought the children were fantastic. Uh, Mason uh, Thames, who plays Finney in particular, was, I thought, really great. You know, the, for me, the revelation was uh, Gwen. Okay. Uh, when she, shout out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was just, oh gosh, she's got such a um, bright future ahead of her. Uh, yeah. It was, you know, uh, you know, kids with acting, it's kind of, you know, hit or miss. And you just go along. And especially in a horror movie, you just kind of, it, you enjoyed the ride. So the ups and downs of kids acting, it kind of, it doesn't affect me very much. But... Right when they cut into that scene where the dad is beating Gwen with the belt yeah, and mm-hmm. she's crying and she's screaming at him, I'm sorry. And I, I just, I fully believed she was a kid who has an abusive parent who mm-hmm. is just trying to survive. And she's just, she's got all that mix of anger and um, fear and, you know, sadness and, and all those things together. I just thought when you're watching her in that moment, I don't even think, I think they really kept the camera on her too, to really mm-hmm. sort of drink that in. I just thought that was absolutely a, a stunning, stunning moment for her in this whole movie. The book and then that, though, for me was the one where she's in bed um, and she was just praying and she jumps into her bed um, when the dad walks in and he, she, or, uh, he doesn't walk in, he just, the door creaks out, cracks open. So we actually don't even see him. We just hear him. And he's like, go to bed. I know you're out there playing, but she was actually praying. Yeah. And just the look of like love, because she says, I love you, daddy. I love you, daddy. But the fear in her eyes, but actually seeing like she genuinely does still want love from him. And that moment, that's the one that broke me for her was yeah. like yeah, and that, after, that, after seeing that beating scene earlier to that. And that fear in her face of is which direction is going to go, because I'm sure there's an equal number of nights that he does that and says goodnight and closes the door and then. The yeah. other set of nights where he goes and he beats the crap out of her. So yeah, sure, you can and see in her a, face. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't know that confusion. And you know, this is another actor, Jeremy Davies, who we normally see playing nice guy roles. Again, taking this kind of sinister turn. So I like that this film subverts some some nice guy actors into some sinister things. So uh, a brief plot summary for those who haven't seen slash read this: uh, There's a little boy uh, who is kidnapped and put into a basement by a man. Uh, who we assume has killed other children, although he denies it, but definitely has killed other children and has a, a, a mysterious black phone in his house that ends up being a gateway to the afterlife of the other kids that he had killed. So the big change, I think, you know, because I've read the story in prep, of course, and um, in the, you know, the very first sentence is talking about how the man is fat, like grotesquely fat. And this is a big part of the, you know, he's mentions his size a lot. Um, so that's like, a, you know, a, which I think is interesting because this is a big change. And this is something that I think of, you know, with his dad, which with Stephen King is Carrie the character in the book is is grotesquely fat and something that they've changed, you know, for cinema, like, oh, make him Ethan Hawke and make him shirtless. Now, am I complaining? Hell no. No, nah. no I'm not complaining. I'm happy for the change. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I will never say no to Ethan Hawke. That is a right. fact. Um, and I, you know, this, the, the, in a Julia detail nitpicky way, um, the thing that bothered me the most about this movie was uh, Ethan Hawke kept giving him glass bottles and he didn't do anything with it. And, and he didn't like, take him to use him as a weapon. Yes. I wondered the same thing, Julia, when he would come down and give him his like little meal on the tray, little crappy looking eggs, Julia's favorite meal. Yeah, um, Eating off the uh, floor, even better. But in yep. the story, that, um, that he specifically is like, if I only had a glass bottle or a piece of rock. And I'm like, <laughs> right. David, David, what did you think? Did that bother you? Probably just like, meh, it's fine. Uh, yeah, when especially at one point, uh, a glass bottle gets shattered against the yeah. wall when Finney's alone down there. And I just like, you could wallop him with a complete glass bottle, you could cut him with the shards of a glass bottle. What yeah. really, the, there was a, the, there were, um, uh, there were questions, but uh, the one that popped up for me was uh, he, Leans there. There's like rolled carpet down in this basement for some reason. Yeah. It's like old yep. carpet that's been rolled up, and it's long and it's big and thick. And Finney, there's a tiny little window in this basement, and it's got a grate on it. And uh, you know, when he communicates with the spirits, I, I we can sort of sort of spoil everything, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. You know, he's talking to the spirits on the phone, and um, 
I think he eventually finds out that he can't like one of them, one of the kids tried to get through the window and it didn't work. And um, the grabber got pissed off and killed him or something. Um, but he had these huge long rolls of carpet. And what Finney does when he's down there is he leans this big roll of carpet, which looks an awful lot like a ladder up to this yep. window. Yep. And then he takes this whole, this finds a cable. One of the kids tells him, Oh, I hit a cable under this wall right here. So he pulls out this cable. He feeds it through the, um, the roll the of carpet, of carpet. Mm-hmm. and then ties it around the grate and or brings it back down, ties it around the grate, then ties a knot in it so that he can step into the knot to pull himself up to get to the window. And I'm just thinking the whole time, uh, that carpet is long and thick. Uh, why? <laughs> Let's let's try to climb up it first before you go through this elaborate like um, I forget the name of the guy who did those elaborate contraptions like the beginning of Pee Wee's Big Adventure right? Oh yes, yes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. I, and then he gets the grate off, but then he's like, "Eh, fuck it." Doesn't try with the window. And I was like, "But you got the grate, okay?" So you know, but you have to understand. You know, he's under duress. He's 12, 13 years old, right? And I, I think for me, and this is a very Julia thing to say, I wanted it to be just him in the room. I just wanted to feel more, you know, because they added the, you know, sister is psychic. She knows where he is kind of thing. And they, oh, I kind of think- love the the weird, weird siblings connected because like she has a connection to the phone, too. I kind of love that. that. I mean, they kind of hint at it in the story, but they, you know, obviously they had to expand this a lot. Yeah, to make and, a movie. you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like the story is so good at telling you how long he's in there for, how horrible it feels, how, he, you know, he's dehydrated and he, he's not eating and like all of these kind of feelings of being in the room. Um, so I wanted to just kind of be more him and Ethan Hawke was all I needed. Uh, every. Then that's me, but I like people talking in rooms. So, I love the know. weird, creepy brother that he was right there the whole time. Yeah. Like, can and we James Ransom, that guy, like, yeah, James Ransom killing it as always, right? Like, he just like goes a coked in. out brother, just <laughs> conspiracy theory. Like, I loved it. It was like, it was like the Charlie Day meme when you like walk, when the police like walk yeah. in and like see like his like board that he's got, you know, of all this things stringed up there. Like, okay, if this guy was here, this guy's here. And I love the realization, like, when the cops are like, yeah, yeah, dude, you're a conspiracy guy. You're clearly coked out. And they were literally standing right above the kid um, in the basement, which is just ugh, brilliant. Julia, it reminds me of your, your perspective on Saw. I know I listened to the episode yes. and I just thought, you know, I'm on board with you on, on saw. And this one didn't bother me as much when they cut away from the room. Uh, because honestly, during this movie, the, the, there was some interviews with the detectives who were looking for the missing kids, but certainly there wasn't a focus at all on kind of the investigation piece of this. They talked to a few people, but it wasn't like that's that was the B storyline here was following all these little tidbits for them to eventually get to the house. Uh, but I kind of feel I feel you with the that's that's the saw scenario where thank we you. Nobody stayed. ever agrees with me on that. Thank you. I the saw one that. I agree with this one, though. I needed the breaks. I literally had to pause the movie partway through because I was like my armpits were like I was so stressed for this kid in that room. And I was so grateful to I, have a break when they did so i'm gonna was there a particular the moment breaks. that like stressed you out um i can't even pinpoint right now i just know that i was like okay i'm gonna have to stop right now and like i took a break and then came back to finish it wow like, yeah i was it's so funny yeah. the, the the moment that stressed me out the most was that scene with with gwen and her dad <laughs> yeah. it has nothing to do with the grabber but i'm like oh my god gwen i, yeah, I, we don't, I just wanted I, yeah it, we don't ever really find out the grabber's deal, right? Like why he's that, at all. Yeah. Is, no, he, is he doing stuff to these boys? If you look at who we kidnapped, well, it was all young boys. Well, he does say, I won't do anything to you you won't like, which I think insinuates that. But also there's also the naughty boy thing because that's yeah. what the other kid tells him. Like it's like, oh, because if he has, he wants to play the game, you got to play his game. It's the naughty boy game, right? And so... All the boys that he's abducted, like if you look at the sister, like going back and like finding them, they all did something wrong or had just been like either picked up or like met visited by the police recently for like a fight or something happened. So I don't know if the grabbers like actively watching these kids and seeing who's gotten into a fight or what's just happened. But it seemed like he had grabbed them at those times for some of these kids. Yeah, I will I say that. Go ahead, please. Uh, I will say that I loved the aspect of the movie that they added that was 
kind of like um, the escape room piece of it, where mm -hmm. every kid. I actually thought going into this movie, I had a I had an idea of how they expanded it. I thought it was going to be in a big house where he talks to the kids who have died on the phone, and each kid, like the first kid, got just beyond the door, and then the driver kills him, and then the next kid got up the stairs, ah. and the driver killed. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So every mm -hmm. kid that got kidnapped got a little bit farther. So Finney now gets the advantage of yes, everything I that they did I think I would have liked that better if you saw everybody's story and like that's how he figures out that like, you would represent right. that visually instead of just that like saying. Every, everybody makes a mistake and Finney is the survivor. He's the final boy because they've reached beyond the grave to tell him, oh, I made this mistake. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of cool the way that they wrapped it up where, you know, the, the meat eventually came into play for a different reason. Right. Uh, I would have liked the, the, the spirits the, of the kids to be a little more vague about what mm -hmm. they were telling him to do. And then we could have this great revelation at the end. So for everybody listening, if you haven't seen it, the, the kids call and they've tried these different things and they tell Finney what they've tried that didn't really work. So Finn, Finn tries to do them. And then by the end of the movie, each thing that he's done ultimately stacks up in a way that can um, help him get out, to, you yep. know, overtake the grabber and get out. And I would have loved to have seen that all stack up by the kids being vague about it and giving him okay. clues rather than saying, oh, I tried to get through the freezer and, you know, I couldn't get through. And then it just so happens that, oh, there's meat on the floor now and I can give it to the dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all this kind of domino effect. Um, and, you know, you have this false hope at the end, right, where the brother comes in. You're like, oh, he's saved. He's, he's oh, good. Gosh. You know, and this look on his face where, uh, the you know, the brother knows, Max knows now that he's been this conspiracy theory that it's his fucking brother. His brother's the killer. Jesus Christ. Like, that, mo you know, you only get that realization for like a moment because he's he's uh, shortly uh, taken out of the scene. Yeah. to the middle of the head when a beautiful, beautiful moment. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then he's standing, Max is standing there and he doesn't have a normal person's reaction because he's coked out of his mind. He's like, <laughs> he like peeks through and he's like, oh shit. Oh shit. I was... He was right, right here. I forget what he says, but just it, it's not the Russian and let me save the kid. It's the nope. Am I even seeing this <laughs> type reaction? And we oh, get, yeah. uh, you know, a shout out to Finney at the end for for really, really killing the grabber real good. Like they're not shy about showing this kid just fucking clocking Wailing him. Wailing on him. Yeah. Choking him. Just not not fucking around. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. And I, I believe, Julia, you've read the story recently, but I believe the uh -huh. only um, moment from the movie that was in the story as far as the attack goes was the stuffing of the, the phone with dirt and sand Yeah, mm -hmm. to get ready for that final fight. But that, uh, they, I mean, they, they, they still use that, right? They say like, that's the ultimate right. way yep. he kills him. Yep. Uh, but the whole thing with the you know the digging the thing in the floor and the that's pretty like pretty the booby fun. trap. I loved that how that all came together. It was like yay! It just the cacophony of, of of him building the trap and not knowing that he was building like the perfect trap for him. Mm -hmm. So pretty great. I, who, what do you think is going to be the sequel? Assuming oh. they do a sequel, Can't, I I felt like this was kind of a standalone thing. You've killed the killed the killed the guy and the the phone where the killing was done is yeah but that there. girl's psychic still oh, you can do I don't a, know. you can do a sequel with her she's gonna have some more dead people talk to her i can feel I it don't, if i don't i feel like if ethan hawk's not involved i'm not interested that's how i feel if, um, but i think ethan hawk's I, not involved yeah but I, you know and i i i there was i really i liked this film and i thought it was a good adaptation comes back of this and story. calls from another phone julia oh goodness see I, you know, I There's just feel always like a way every, to bring them back. I know there is, but I don't feel like not everything needs a sequel. Like this could just be a standalone story. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think I, so. My inclination is, if there is any sort of sequel, it's going to be around the mask. I yep. think it'll yeah, be which a, is a cool, right? Because it's adjustable. You have like different. Someone else is going to don the mask. Yep. You can you can do the bottom where you know they 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 like painted in fangs, like the person mm -hmm. is painted in fangs, or or. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just a copycat type scenario where the the mask becomes the face of the black phone, and then they use a uh, late '90s, early 2000s a black flip phone, flip phone, right? 
No, okay. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I mean, those things are, you those things till, are coming you back. You had me the flip phone, but I. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding about the flip phone. <laughs> well, but you know, Bloomhouse Bloom is a is is mm-hmm. a fan of a mask, right? Like once you get that kind of uh, visual cue, I think they're they're really into that. I'm sorry, David. What were you saying? I was just going to say I I want I want to see Tom Savini's mask continue on uh, in some way. Maybe we'll get a like a creep show short where somebody has picked up the mask or we get an um, Easter egg or something. Yeah. That'd be cool. Oh, if yeah. I was gonna if I was gonna build a mask, I would say he would be my number one person to turn to. So uh, well done to you know, and and well done to everybody in this movie. I think there there isn't anybody that doesn't give a, a really fantastic performance. So uh, David, as you know, being a fan of the show, we have our rating system. So we need to rate this film. Uh, yeah. I'm going to do some gore factor. Yes, uh, number, number one, not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two, a puddle of blood. Three, enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four, a bathtub of blood. And five is run for the barf bag. How do we feel about the gore of this movie? So four, because there's an actual bathtub of blood. Mm, we get an axe to the head. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there was a bathtub of blood in one of the flashback thing that he saw. Yeah, okay. uh, I I I'm gonna have to lean on the uh, axe to the head because they you know yeah. they got chopped up kids and the one kid is floating upside down and blood is dripping and then the axe to the head just kind of puts me puts it at a four for me. Okay. And then the fights at the beginning that the kids like wail on that other kid's face and stuff too. Yeah, you got to get the gore in if you're if you're making a horror movie. That's how I feel. All right, four for gore. All right. Um, how about movie ratings, kids? Uh, we got chainsaws. One, if you're desperate, two, barely qualifies as a horror film, three, seen worse, seen better, four, not too shabby, and five, fantastic oracle. David, take David, it away. David, you're our guest. What, what, what's this for you? I um, I, I don't know if you've ever done this in the history of the podcast, but I'm, a, I'm at a solid 3.75. <laughs> oh, no, we haven't. <laughs> I, I, new territory. I, I, hey, I, explain I, yourself. I know. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. I thought there were um, definitely opportunity, like the glass bottle and some other questions that I had as I was going through. I think it's kind of stock and trade of a lot of horror movies just to have kind of logical questions. Just say, why um, can't he give him cans? Just give him a can. I, I mean, know, I know they're trying to be. Yeah. I mean, there's a period, right? I understand we're 1970s. You want to show it's 1970s. But also, I think that that killer's smart enough to be like, I'm not going to give this kid a fucking glass bottle. Like he would have given He's him gonna... like a plastic cup or something, right? Like yeah. something not that. Right. And, you know, it would be cool to see Finney take a aluminum can and sort of make it into a weapon at that point. Yes. Uh, you know, be creative. Uh, so MacGyver yeah. dishes. And I, and I think that there, there was... I, I, I love the mask. Ethan Hawke is fantastic. I thought the kids were good. I thought there were going to be a little bit um, a little bit more as far as the, the, the plotting goes on it. But uh-huh. overall, it was uh, definitely an hour and 45 minutes well spent. So I think I'll yep. bump it to a four. I think I'll bump okay. it to a four. Ooh, he talked himself right. into a four. Ooh. I'm going four as well. Not too shabby. I, four across uh, the board. I, Mm-hmm. Okay, all fours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was like mind-blowingly spectacular. Uh, but again, for Ethan Hawke's performance alone and the children, I would say definitely worth watching. And Jeremy Davies, throw the mullet, and James Ransona. I can't stop. The oh, performances great are good. Yeah, I loved it. I was scared. Scared enough, I had to pause it. So whenever I have to pause it, I know it's really good, um, or very scary, and um, and got got me just nervous for those kids. Um, so good on good on them. I, I love it. I love that about you, Terry. That you have to pause it when you get too scared. I can't remember if I've ever. The the last time I paused it was thirst when I didn't want to watch anymore. We're <laughs> <laughs> like no more creepy pustules on this creepy oh, kind of vampire when... <laughs> person. Um, understood. Uh, and the hospital I know is not your favorite, so no. understood on that. <laughs> so thank you. Oh my God, David, so much. Um, our last question because you are a guest as well, and as I'm sure if you listen to our interviews, um, we need to know if you were going to survive this. Uh, your horror movie survival guide, I guess, like tip uh, to survive, what would be your survival tip? Uh, climb the freaking carpet and kick out the window, please, Finney. Yeah. <laughs> well, what if, what, what happens? Okay, let's hypothetically then. What happens if he tries that he can't fit through the window? What then? Well, the window was soundproof, right? So if you can even crack it a little bit. People were walking up and down that street all the time. I mean, Gwen was all over her her bike on it. 
and also then just make make like Wolverine knuckles with those with those gla- sh- shards of of glass, please. Yeah. And go, you know, just wail on this guy. Give it a good shot. Because yeah, we really, got well, lots of tips for this kid because there was a yeah. lot of other things he didn't use that were right there. Yeah, because I feel like you just like hunker bow down by right by the door. So when he opens it, you just slash the back of his knee with the fucking glass and you're good to go. I did agree with him slow rolling for a lot of the movie because Ethan Hawke did such a good job of playing such an unstable person mm-hmm. that, you know, Finn sort of playing it because he wasn't obviously the grabber wasn't going to kill him right away or he would have. So I liked that Finn slow rolled things, tried to, you know, problem solve, tried to figure things out. Um, But at some point there were opportunities that presented themselves. And uh, I really would like to have seen Finney uh, just try, just try to get out of there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so where can we find you and your work and what's coming up for you that you're excited about plug away so you can find me on instagram at david m boer you can find me on twitter at david boer uh you can find my books wherever um my comics wherever books are sold like barnes and noble or amazon um or independent bookstores which we always like to support and in comic shops everywhere What's coming next for me is a lot more Kanto and uh, then a few things that will be announced, including some uh, cool collaborations, hopefully down the road. Yay. We are excited to hear about those when you are allowed to talk about them. Yes. Let us know um, so we can retweet, repost all the good stuff. We are so excited. Thank you so much, David, for chatting with us today. It's been a delight. Thank you for bringing such a fun movie as well. And um, just you're a dear. So thank you. Thank you. Um, And thank you. you. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say you talk about those top five things in your career that what did you say? Holy Grails, Terry? Yeah. Yeah. And I can check this one off the list. No, David. I love this podcast so much. And I think you all are wonderful. And everybody who's listening, you've probably already subscribed. But like bring five people to also subscribe because this podcast is one of the best. Oh, that's going to make me tear up a little bit. Hand to heart. Hand to heart. Hand to heart. Hand to heart. Thank you guys so much. If you love us like David does, you can find us on all the internets, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. Um, We love the support. We are an independent show. It's just us and uh, producer Sierra that put this thing together every week for you all. Um, We appreciate you so much. Um, You can also get some merch at Teespring and uh, follow us on the internets all around. We love you so much. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you again real soon. Thanks so much. Bye. See you later, Disco Citizens. Thank you for listening. Horror Movie Survival Guide is independently produced by Terry Gamble, Julia Marchesi, and Sierra Rhine. Hey, that's me. If you would like to support the show, find us on patreon.com slash horror movie survival guide.